I bring you a warning. Every one of you listening to my voice, tell the world, tell this to everybody wherever they are. Watch the skies everywhere. Keep looking. Keep watching the skies. <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Infinite Worlds podcast. I'm your host, Winston Ward, publisher of Infinite Worlds magazine. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Nick the Tooth. What's going on, Nick? It's going good, man. What are you up to? I'm here in uh, England, I think like eight hours ahead of your time zone, but... uh, It is 10 a.m. here, so that means it's 6 p.m. there? uh, Five five o'clock here so seven hours seven hours so, difference man wild i'm always used to recording with a time difference because we're always in a different time zone actually i think when you were in new mexico for one recording no that was it yeah i was in santa fe yeah, i think that was like the one time the one time like we were ever in the same but this is a this is a pretty dramatic difference and what was cool about that is we were like crisscrossing the country because yeah you were going west and i was going east and so and you're gonna keep going east right like after england you're gonna head further east I'm going to try, man. I'm trying, you know, the quarantine situation over here right. is so gnarly. So I just was, uh, just like five minutes ago, I was just checking out. I want to go to Portugal. I want to go to, uh, I want to go to France and go to Paris. But, uh, sure. the situation right now is you have to quarantine when you come back into the UK and it's like 10 days. It's a nightmare. Oh, man. It's such a bummer. So, but I think that's going to be lifted to where if you're vaccinated, then um, I, and I got my microchip. So yeah. if you got your microchip, then you don't have, you just have to take a, a, a test in which you're uh, negative. Right. So long as the new world order can track you, you're good. Dude, I am you know. so tracked. I love it. I'm so love just, just ultimately tracked. Dude, who's more tracked than you, dude? Nobody. <laughs> no, um, no. But you know what, man? They're starting to recommend. Uh, I think it was Germany was the first country that's recommending that because of the Delta variant that we uh, – which I love that name, but because right. of the Delta variant that we, that you mix vaccines and get a booster with one of the others. So I think when I get back to the States, I'm going to get like uh, uh, one of the other vaccines just cause I can't get enough micro trips. I want more. Right. Yeah. They, you know, you want them to be able to triangulate and you know, if one of them goes out, you still want them to be able to track you. I, I mean, I get it, dude. I get it. I want to be able to levitate too. I want the superpowers that come with it. You're like magnetized or whatever, and you could use your magnetic powers like Magneto. I'm gonna be fucking Magneto, exactly. Dude. I'm gonna be <laughs> so Magneto. <laughs> you make a great Magneto, dude. It, listen, if I can't use it to take over the world, I'll have the best party tricks ever. So either way, right. it's a win win. <laughs> Just bending spoons all day. Uh. <laughs> oh my god. Things here in Denver are pretty good. Uh, I live in like downtown and we have a major league baseball all-star game happening next week. The area right near our house is all like cordoned off and fenced off and there are battering ram barriers and all kinds of stuff set up and all these MLB signs and like player posters and stuff everywhere. And a shitload of people are visiting as evidenced by just all the people milling, all the tourists milling around down here. But me and my wife are going to a national park over the weekend to try to get away from the weekend crowd. We're going to the Black Canyon of the Gunnison, which is in western Colorado, the fourth largest canyon in the North American continent or something like that. Dude, that's rad. You're going to be stoked, man. Yeah, I'm pretty happy to go do that. And there's some other cool little mountain towns. This town, Uray up in the mountains that's like set in like a little valley. We're going to go visit and do a bunch of that kind of thing just to get out of town. Oh, that's going to be so sick. You know what, man? What's really rad is that, you know, you're experiencing this. I really envy you because you have this situation where you're in one of the coolest cities. You're living in a, a totally cool urban environment, and yet you can just go you know, 45 minutes and just be in just nature. And it's, and there's so many different oh, yeah. things to see there, right? Places to visit in Colorado are just completely, I mean, there are so many and we've only hit a few of them so far. And we actually haven't been to the, um, 
back range, the other side of the Rocky Mountains yet. When I was like 19, I toured with bands as like a driver and a merch guy. And uh, I saw it way back then, but I haven't seen it since then. And my wife's never seen it. So we're going to go check that out, see what the other side of the mountains look like. Eventually, I'd like to buy some property in Colorado, but I don't know where yet. So maybe something out in that direction. Oh, that's so cool. When I start making some money, that'll happen. (laughs) Well, in the meantime, you can enjoy all these things for practically free. And that's what makes it so cool. Totally. Yeah. That's, that's, that's one of the big reasons that we do these kinds of trips as our like leisure activities is because we bought a annual pass to all the national parks. So we're just like going to take advantage of that. We've got another, we've got another trip planned for my birthday in August. And we're going to go to Utah and go to arches and um canyon oh that's national parks when's your birthday what day august 23rd i'm a leo virgo cusp oh apparently i I, i'm not a astrology guy but i'm full virgo man full virgo full virgo i'm a i usually get categorized when people like make the charts i'm almost always a virgo but occasionally it'll say leo and i'm like oh hmm Well, dude, let me tell you something. I I just want to slip this in. Like I said, I'm very envious about you living in an urban environment. One of the cool things about being in London is the ability to just go see the city. And I have to say Mm. my favorite city in the world because of the weather and the art and all that is Miami. I love that city. Okay. But but dude, London has to be the coolest city. I like New York. But London is freaking insane. I'm such a fan of uh, architecture. Uh, And this juxtaposition of the oldest architecture, you know, not the oldest, obviously. But some of the oldest. Yeah, yeah, Coliseums. But, you know, so just this old architecture and Victorian era and all this history and some of it being bombed by the Germans in World War II. And then these massive, like, just postmodern skyscrapers and some of the new architecture. Dude, it is so mind-blowing. And the food is unbelievable. Dude, on every block of london without question there are at least two to three vegan freaking restaurants Mm. it's the craziest thing i've ever encountered i was like what is going on here or at least options and like really good options but they have this um they they have the these like markets in the middle of the city and not one not two we think we found like five and they have these markets um, that my daughter's like, oh, you got to go here. And then we got to go here where they have like stands that are like food trucks with all these different ethnicities of food mm. and vegan options. And it's, dude, the food is unreal. That's a big draw for me. I love eating. So, oh my God. I'm going to try uh, make a note of that when I do my travel plans in the, you know, the distant future when I'm able to travel abroad. And, and you know, the cool, one of the raddest things here is the public transportation. It is right. bar none. I've never experienced anything like this. The, the I mean, tube, got, right? Was- well, they got, dude, they got trains, they got tubes. I found this gym that I went to and to get there, I took, I think, to, yeah, a buddy, I went there with a guy who, uh, who brought me there and he's like, okay, first we're going to get on the train. Then we're going to get on the tube. Then we got on a double-decker red bus. And it was just, you know, all you do, you have your iPhone and it's just, or your, you know, it's your smartphone. You just plop it down on this little sensor and uh, it's just, boom, immediately just you like pay a dollar or whatever it is. And it's super cheap, dude. It's super cheap. I'm like, what is America doing? doing man why did we not have this level of public transportation within these cities like throughout california it's crazy every city kind of seems like they're like independently responsible for their own public transit and lots of the cities in america are like pretty poorly run it's like the mayor of the city would be like oh yeah we're gonna do a big mass transit upgrade and then that mayor will lose the next election and the next mayor will be like meh I don't care about that. And then just kind of goes by the wayside. Like I lived in Atlanta for a long time. And let me tell you, man, the public transit in Atlanta is, it leaves a whole lot to be decided. Like they finally. And Atlanta's a big city though. Yeah. That's that's what's crazy about it. Yeah. It's the biggest city for, you know, a couple hundred miles in every direction. And a few years back, they were like, oh yeah, we're going to spend some money and do some upgrades. And they put a trolley in one little bar school district. And the trolley goes like four blocks back and forth. And they spent like so much money putting this stupid fucking thing in there and didn't do anything to the actual transit system like the MARTA system. So 
I know it, man. Oh, it's crazy. I've been driving over here too, and that's absolutely fucking bonkers. On the other side of the road, right? On the other side of the road. But dude, here's what's crazy about about London is that you can park on e if you're driving on the left side, you can just pull right over or and or go on the other side. So cars are parked on both sides. People pull up on the sidewalk and just park right there. It's the weirdest thing. And then you have this situation where in a lot of uh, neighborhoods that you're driving through, there are cars parked in a two, it's a two lane road, but there are cars parked. So one car can barely fit down. Nah. The thing, and so you're going one way, and here comes a car coming the other way, and you're going, What do I do? So, you got to like pull up, flash your lights, pull up onto someone's grass or whatever. They pass you back out. You, dude, it is madness over here. I've never experienced anything like it. It's freaking wild. Get used to it, man. I think America will head that direction the more crowded we get here, too. You know, oh, uh, that's the one thing about England is that it's an island, so you know, that population density is going to be higher. Yeah. All I'm hoping for in America and England is that we start having a lot more UFO sightings and people start getting abducted and they reduce some of this population. The people that get abducted don't need to be hurt. They can just take them to some like zoo uh, where they're displayed a la uh, Slaughterhouse-Five. Oh my gosh, I know. And just, you know, given like a porn star companion to hang out with. <laughs> well, um, well, I tell you what, man, that brings up today's episode, which is about UFOs, all things UFOs. This is a pretty exciting episode for me because UFOs really are like the earliest type of science fiction. They, I mean, they predate science itself by thousands of years so like it's kind of like one of the first origins of the genre where the idea that people might come down from outer space or you know beings might come down from outer space and interact with us so this is a really fun episode i think a lot of the genre is kind of based on this concept so i'm looking forward to getting into this one Yeah, so I'm going to ask you right now, why do you think it is? What is it about us primates, thinking primates, that makes us look to the freaking stars and say, I either saw something or, you know what I mean, or yearn for that? What the heck is it? Okay, so human brains are kind of programmed to seek out patterns. Unlike, not unlike other animals, there are other animals that do the same, but ours are highly attuned to seek out patterns and irregularities. So when we see anything that we can't understand, our mind sort of like focuses in on that. And because of that, we create these explanations for the things we saw. And, you know, in my view, that's the root of religion and that's the root of these uh, UFO sightings. I mean, because that's what let's start by saying, you know, UFO doesn't necessarily mean alien spacecraft, even though kind of like in modern parlance, people say UFO interchangeably with flying saucer, alien spacecraft, but really UFO just means any object in the sky that you can't immediately identify. So that's what people have been saying for a long time. You know, back in the day, they're like, oh, it's an alien spacecraft, you know, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, because those people had no idea what a meteor shower was, what a comet was. You know what I mean? Yeah. They had no concept of, you know, heavenly bodies or objects moving around in space. So when they see anything unusual, they're like, oh, it's the chariot of the gods. It's uh, what have you flying through space. And it must be something else because, you know, they have no way of even beginning to understand that it's just, you know, a ball of iron ore and ice floating through space. But yeah, kind of like where, you know, you think about really primitive societies just looked at the sun and was were like, that's right. a god and Mars right. or even Greek myths, right? right? And it, it wasn't really until science started developing, I guess, probably in Greece or Rome was when, you know, first disciplined thought, like critical thinking became a thing. And, you know, other explanations besides the knee jerk explanation of, oh, it must be a flaming chariot. It must be blah, blah, blah. It started to kind of like come around with some of the thinkers. And then, you know, then you had like Copernicus and Galileo who really put all of the heavenly bodies into perspective for science. And after that, like some of those things got cleared up. But despite the fact that humans learned that comets exist and meteor showers exist and optical illusions can be created by atmospheric conditions. 
that really doesn't explain everything. No, no. So I want to ask you then about what are what do you think about? Because I love the watching this series. They have on uh, I think History Channel has the Ancient oh, yeah. Aliens uh, series, and people friggin' love that. And I love you know when they start referencing like the Sumerian um, mm-hmm. tablets and mm-hmm. carvings, and they've got like these like UFO looking things and these UFO looking gods. I love gas, that shit. They look like right? they're wearing gas masks or breathing apparatuses or they're sitting in like rockets. Oh, dude, that's so sick. The simple explanation, of course, as what's his name, Giorgio, just do the hand motion to say aliens. But, uh, you know, maybe so. There's a long, I mean, it's still, to, it's still going on today that the ancient Egyptians, they were given a leg up technology wise by alien cultures visiting Earth. And, you know, that theory is still pretty prominent. You know, there are there are a lot of people who still think that that even think that the pyramids were built using alien technology. That's since been more or less disproved. They, they've basically been able to demonstrate how the pyramids were created. I think it's really interesting, not only when when they bring out like architects and engineers and they're like, look at the razor sharpness of these cuts on, on with this, uh, with the rocks in the, in the stones that they used to build the pyramids. But when they also say, listen, they didn't have GPS. So for them to align these things in this way, in this perfect symmetry is almost impossible. And I, and I think that that is an important thing to keep in mind is because we are even hearing that today that listen, we don't have human beings don't have the technology to do X, Y, or Z or didn't then, or don't now with the modern sightings, right? We don't have aircraft that can do X, Y, or Z. We didn't have, they didn't have the tools to do this. So therefore it must be aliens, right? And we've talked about this before about Occam's razor, about how the simplest explanation is probably the correct one. And the truth is, is that, that technique for thinking and for critical thinking is not foolproof because y- your simplest explanation might be, oh, well, they, you know, had some technology that we don't understand anymore that's go- lost in the sands of time. And my explanation is aliens. You know what I mean? And yeah. for both, <laughs> yeah. both of us, it seems like the most simple or logical explanation. Definitely these kinds of situations where we kind of lack the evidence really to understand these kinds of things that Occam's razor technique can kind of trick us down these rabbit holes. And again, I I can't say for sure that they're incorrect, that they're not right, that there weren't aliens. I don't know. Obviously I have no proof of that. No, I, I dude, I always err and it's, it sometimes kind of sucks because I wish I would have let myself jump down the rabbit hole like completely because I always err on the side of being agnostic where I'm like, okay, I just don't have enough proof, but it sure looks interesting and it's fun, right? It's like, Oh, this is fucking fun. Above all else. It is fun. I am a, I want to believe kind of person. I am a very skeptical person and it takes a lot to convince me of pretty much anything at all. And I, I, I try to reserve judgment until I have a lot of information and I'm able to discuss topics with different various people with different points of view. And that's just kind of how I grew up thinking. But it doesn't mean that I don't want some of this stuff to be true. I'm Mulder over here with the I want to believe poster on my wall. I yeah. like I truly do believe that absolutely our reality would be enriched by discovering that we're not alone in the universe that there are other intelligent civilizations somewhere in the universe and whether or not those civilizations traveled through a stargate from their planet that looks just like ancient Egypt to our planet and gifted their culture to us 4000 years ago or whenever it was that's for Kurt Russell to discover I you know I am never going to be able to answer that question I have no idea unless fingers crossed some like real evidence does present itself but the thing is, is that evidence does present itself all the time the um strength of that evidence is really what's up for debate you know what I mean? Like the validity of the evidence. Because yeah, a- I mean, you, you look at, you know, we're talking about, we kind of, we're talking about ancient aliens, but if you bring it all the way up to like modern UFO sightings, how about something like Roswell, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Evidence, right? There's right. evidence there, right? Well, I think that's sort of in dispute as well. Like what they present as evidence, whether or not it is good evidence. You know what I mean? And no, no, I think that's the question. Is like Roswell is is a situation where there was definitely something. There was evidence, 
But the question is, was it evidence of a UFO? What the hell was it? So what do you think? Well, okay. So that took place in 1947. And as we all know, the date was 1947. And I'm not quite sure the actual, looks like it was discovered and reported to authorities on July 6th, 1947. And something definitely crashed, happened, something happened. And, you know, the, the official government explanation was that it was simply a weather balloon, which the people who spotted it originally and found it basically rebuked that explanation saying there's no way what they found was a weather balloon. You know, we have some idea, even as lay people, what a weather balloon should look like. And this is not that. But something happened there. But we have to keep in mind that in 1947, America was definitely in the throes of experimental design, especially aeronautical experimental design. We had pushed from the late 30s, early 40s through World War II with massive spending on aeronautics. We developed all sorts of aircraft during the war. We developed nuclear technology during the war. We only broke the sound barrier just before the war. We uh, were advancing our flying machines so rapidly, so, so rapidly, because people only flew for the first time in like 1906, 40 years before this, or at least flew powered flight. There were the balloonists before that, but powered flight happened at just around the turn of the century. And not even 50 years later, like 40 years later, we're flying rockets. You know what I mean? We're launching rockets. and uh, That's freaking crazy. Yeah. It's kind of easy to see how some farmer or rancher living out in New Mexico, which was Roswell, New Mexico, is not very populated now. And it was way less populated back in 1947. You know what I mean? This is far from a big town. So a lot of these people, they don't have the internet. They don't even really have TV. You know what I mean? TV really hadn't even become a thing yet. So any object that you and I would classify as like an experimental flying machine to them would look wholly foreign, wholly alien. Let's say the person who's discovered is 40 years old. Their whole life had taken place during the age of powered flight. But, you know, powered flight up until then were wooden airplanes with props and, you know, uncovered uh, seating areas and that kind of thing. So to see. Yeah, you know, there was no no jets. Exactly. There were no jets. There's nothing like that. And, you know, of course, you, you could hear about the World War II coverage, which surely they did. I'm sure the radio was saturated. I've listened to quite a bit of it. And you hear about Americans bombers and you hear you see the newsreels of, you know, planes being made on the assembly lines and all that. And, you know, they are metal planes and some of them are jets. But. The difference between hearing about something like that on the radio or seeing glimpses of it in a news clip and seeing wreckage of something like that or perhaps some other flying machine that wasn't up to snuff so that the U.S. military nixed the program and it never like became a feasible production model. And could those have been saucer-shaped? Maybe. I honestly don't know. I do know that the one piece of evidence that really pushed this incident into popular culture for years and years and years after was the alien autopsy, where supposedly some alien beings, little gray guys, were aboard this saucer and their bodies were recovered. I I think some reports say that one of them was alive and kept alive for a while. The Air Force has concluded that the alien bodies were actually just test dummies, like crash test dummies, that had fallen a long way and become burnt. Wow. I didn't even know they had commented on that or there had been anything yeah, th- about this, that. This, was a, this is what the, the official explanation is. Whether or not you choose to believe the government's official explanation is totally up to you. Dude, the government the United- would never lie, so don't even imply that. <laughs> don't even imply Having lived that. in the United States my entire life, I've learned to take everything the government says with a grain – like to, if I'm going to think critically, thinking critically about the claims of the U.S. government is a great place to start. Right. Because uh, they have – lied to the American people lots and lots of times in the interest of, I'm doing air quotes, you guys can't see them, but national security air quotes here. Bro, it's, I, I, I'm just such of the mindset that given what from the last 20 years with the Iraq war and all the lies blatant before oh, yeah. Congress, everything, you know, where there were criminal freaking repercussions that could have happened with perjury, everything else. It could have been war crimes and just straight out lied to us. I don't see. Oh, yeah. and, and Edward Snowden with all the NSA freaking oh, yeah. deception. 
I don't see how you can believe anything they say. You can only believe the things that you can independently verify. You know what I mean? And uh, that's not always easy. There's no way we're going to be able to independently verify the 1994 United States Air Force report claiming that the object that crashed was a nuclear test surveillance balloon titled Project Mogul. And the a subsequent Air Force report is the one that identified the quote unquote alien bodies as test dummies that fell from high altitude. Well, because there was actually a I think in in the the paper there was some type of an article that said that there was it was a UFO and there were bodies or something, isn't that right? Right. In yeah. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There, I mean, I'm looking at the uh, cover of the Roswell Daily Record, and it says R A A F captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell region. That's so sick. And that's the cover of their, lo- <laughs> Dude, lo- their I mean, local paper. Imagine waking up in 1947. You have no internet. You know, the war just ended. And you read this in your local paper. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. I would go. I would be, lose my mind right now, much less in 1947. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, People were already freaked out for lots of reasons. Only a few years before this, let me, I think it was 1938, nine years before this, we had the big War of the World scare. Oh, yeah, yeah. The best. It was a big moment in American history because it caused, as we talked about on the program, Orson Welles did a teleplay or a, um, I'm sorry, a radio play, the H.G. Wells novel, War of the Worlds. And created some mayhem because the people who had just tuned in didn't realize that they were listening to a dramatization and thought they were hearing actual alien invasion over the radio. So that was one of the big first alien invasion scares that took place. You know, it was later made clear that it really was just, you know, fiction and all that. But it's still people still had, you know, had the idea that aliens could visit us on your mind in popular culture. We just talked about how there really was no TV. Radio was the big deal in this era. So when you heard things on the radio, everybody heard them. You know, when things are broadcast on the radio, a good portion of the population would hear these things. How many people actually heard Orson Welles' broadcast is open for debate, but it surely got discussed because it did create a little bit of mayhem and some panic. So, you know, that the idea that aliens could invade was still a little bit fresh on the mind. So when this happened in 1947 in Roswell, UFO lore and the idea of extraterrestrial visitation absolutely took off. Like it became really, in my opinion, just like an integral part of American culture. American culture and spotting aliens and extraterrestrials are tied so hand in hand. Have you ever seen a map of UFO sightings? No, no. How does it look? It's color coded so that the darker the color means the higher frequency of reports. And America and England are so much darker than the rest of the world. And most of the rest of the world has no color on it at all. So the idea of UFO sightings is kind of in a lot of ways an American or at very least Western idea. They're not heavily reported in other parts of the world. Again, there might be other reasons for this. It's very possible that other governments just simply don't take those reports seriously and never register them. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's very, very possible. And, you know, that is you know, something to consider like our government or our media, whichever one it is, keeping track of these reports. But does it differentiate on this map between non-anal probes and anal probes? (laughs) Well, those are definitely going to be higher in America for, for, uh, for sure. America is obsessed with the anus. There's, there's no, there's no question about that. You know, that is a, it, the idea that, okay, so let's talk about the close encounters, you know? I think that's a good, pretty good segue there. Okay. Actually, for those who want to see what I was talking about, if you just look up ESRI UFO sightings map, ESRI, all one word, UFO sightings map, you'll see what I'm talking about. So in case you guys wanted some visual aid for this, and it's like England and the U.S. are bright yellow And then there are little dots here and there and other places. And then the coasts of Australia and South Africa, some in South Africa, basically places where people speak English. Not that South Africa is a fully English speaking country, but there is plenty of English spoken there. So, you know, that that is a little bit coincidental for my skeptical mind to not think, okay, this probably has something to do with the fact that UFOs are part of their popular culture. 
Or, like you said, I'm going to play the other side. It could be just that they have more. The government programs are there to, to collect reports, right? Exactly. Both, both things are possible. But the intensity of UFO sightings in the U.S., or at least reported UFO sightings in the U.S. compared to the rest of the world is kind of crazy. If these were electric lights we were looking at, it would look like America is the only country in the world with electric lights. Okay, well, I have a story here. So, okay, great. I'm when glad. I when I was growing up, my uh, like my second cousin was walking home from school, and he was I think like eleven, twelve years old, and he was with his buddy, and they came. They're walking through the desert, and all of a sudden, over this mountain came this freaking UFO with these shining lights, and hovered above them, and then just freaking took off, right? And mm-hmm. that was a court. That was the story that he told, dude, the next day, the government, I think he told the story in a uh, class and the next day, project blue book showed up. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he was interviewed by freaking uh, air force at project blue book. That was a program that they ran. And it was one of those programs, like, like we were just saying. And what was interesting is that, you know, in Nevada and in, in Nellis Air Force Base is where uh, Area 51 is. Right. And so there's this, you know, we go from Roswell to then Area 51, where supposedly the question is, did they take the bodies that they found at Roswell to Area 51? That was part of Independence Day, right? That The movie. That was so rad. I just watched Independence Day on the 4th of July because my wife and our house guests, neither of them had seen it since they were way younger. And I was like, what better way to celebrate Independence Day than watching Will Smith be a super hunk? Oh, it was so good, right? I love that movie. Yeah, I loved it. I had a great time watching it. They both were like, that was way better than I expected it to be. And I was like, yeah, dude, it's, I mean, you know, it's Roland Emmerich's only good movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he did, I agreed. It's, you know, it's popcorn in a lot of ways, but yeah, it's awesome. It's also got Brent Spiner who played Data as a kind of a small character. No, I remember that. Anyways, let me finish up this story. So then I was with my cousin, like, uh, I don't know, when we were like 20 something years old. And I'm like, dude, come clean right now and tell me the truth. Did you guys make that up? Because, you know, everyone was talking about UFOs at that time. You know, there it's crazy how through it's almost cyclical where every four five six years whatever it is it just Mm -hmm. ufo thing just blows up and uh but i asked him and he's like dude i'm telling you man we saw something we saw something now you can say again occam's razor and Nellis air force base is right there but he's like dude this thing looked like a ufo there was no it stopped and then it just freaking took off it wasn't an airplane Whatever it was. So, you know, I don't know. It could have been something experimental. We're going to get to the physics part of it next. I think that'll be our next, like our next segue is to talk about the hard evidence that we do have mm-hmm. and what it means. Because we do, there is hard evidence. Trying to decipher that evidence is a whole nother thing, but there does exist evidence beyond secondhand stories, you know, because like I'm sure your cousin is a very trustworthy person. My wife claims to have seen an unidentified flying object in her lifetime. Her mother claims to have seen one. So, you know, there's plenty of secondhand information, but believing things secondhand is not necessarily what the skeptic in my mind tells me to do. But before we go on, let's do talk about, you mentioned Area 51. Now, Area 51, we all know, exists. It's a real place. It's there. You can find it on satellite footage. They tried to storm Area 51 a few, or, you know, social media joke was to go storm Area 51. We know that it exists. But... We were told by our government that it did not exist for 40 years or 50 years or however long. Like it was it was kept a secret and we were told that it wasn't real, that it was just, you know, make believe for years and years and years and years and years and years. So the idea that the government is hiding things from us is a fact. That's not that's not open for debate. We know that that is true. We know that the government hides things related to experimental technology from us. And, you know, this is further evidence. We talked about this in a previous episode too, but the stealth bomber development went on for a few decades against government denial that it was happening, saying that it wasn't real. There's no such thing, blah, 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 blah. And then boom, they unveiled them and they're like, (laughs) just kidding. We've got B2 bombers now. So the fact that the government does lie to us about these kinds of things, you can demonstrate that. That's when you're thinking of these things skeptically, that's a point you have to accept. 
You know what I mean? That it, saying that the, the government said it's not real, that must be the case, is really like a fallacy. You can't really say that. So now I think the next step in this discussion would be to talk about the the UFOs in popular culture. Besides, okay, so we talked about the real UFO sightings, but then after that, every episode of everything was the Jetsons. Everybody had an alien on their show. There were aliens in everything. Comic books, tons and tons and tons of comic books where alien visitors were the big deal. Science fiction, you know, had already delved into this, but began to take it like alien civilization versions of science fiction more seriously and like really delve into the science behind what an alien civilization would be like. Previous to that, alien civilizations were discussed, most notably in War of the Worlds, but a lot of them were like space operas where this alien civilization is just human beings with long mustaches and weird Flash Gordon. Yeah, it was all real Flash Gordon and Ming the Merciless. They weren't alien in any other sense than... Superman. Yeah, Superman's another great example. Kryptonians, you know, and that came around in the 1930s. And they're just like people, but they've got superpowers. And there's none of the um, science behind gravity, time dilation, atmospheric differences all the different things that would necessarily affect the development of another species, another wholly alien species into account as we write these fictions. And that started to become popular in science fiction as well. And then a big thing was aliens making contact with people in like a global encounter type situation. Arthur C. Clarke had a famous book called Childhood's End, where this is discussed. There are quite a few other examples of this in the genre. And, you know, then it started being adopted in film as well. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the Steven Spielberg film. Dude, that movie, if people haven't seen it just because it's an older movie, that movie is amazing. Yeah, it really holds up, too. Yeah. The visual effects are amazing. Yeah. And the the plot is really cool. It's just really interesting. Um, I highly recommend that movie for anyone. Obviously, I, I'd probably recommend just about every Steven Spielberg movie. I'm a sucker for. Sorry, that guy, that director's awesome. I can't help it. I, no, I, he's he's so rad. He's so rad. Yeah, that's a good one. But you know what? You know what is even cooler because we've touched on the, you know the intersection of sci-fi, which is so rad. I love it. It's my favorite. X Files, all oh, of yeah. it. I freaking love. But you know what's even cooler is when UFO crosses over into popular culture and you get cults oh yeah i love the idea of cults i think it's fucking the most fascinating thing i'm gonna start a cult one day oh, yeah we talked about and it. so i i, I study right i study cults i think it's so but mine will be a really fun cult but i'm thinking man, maybe the ufo thing will be cool um and you want to talk about sci-fi what better freaking intersection of sci-fi and freaking cult than Scientology oh, with yeah. L. Ron Hubbard, who was, a, who was a science fiction writer right. and decided to start a cult. I mean, what the hell? His whole, the, the basis of Scientology, which was kept fairly secretive for a long time, some of the inner workings, is that human beings are actually aliens. Our, our spirits or personalities are actually those of alien beings that got dropped on Earth and put in human bodies or something akin to that, something pretty close to that. Yeah. And that, that's been a popular cult slash religion for 60 years or so. And, and listen, if you want to see, if you want to get to the bottom of what the, the real basis of Scientology is, go watch, uh, what is it, Travolta's Battlefield Earth. Yeah, Battlefield Earth. <sighs> right? Because that is about, you know, it's not a great movie, but that is, you know, this is what they believe, man. That's it. They tried to keep, they don't want you to know it, but then all of a sudden he puts a movie out about the whole thing. It's crazy. Um, Okay. So when you have all of these, all this conflicting, undecipherable information, you know, aliens seem to exist. You've heard a lot about them. Uh, There's all these unexplained sightings, et cetera. It really allows you to start believing or at least making room to believe some of these theories. We talked about cults. I think another one that should be brought up is the Heaven's Gate cult. Absolutely. I mean, you're the cult guy, so. Heaven's Gate was so cool, man. Heaven's Gate, I remember when the news reports came out 
that uh, and I, you know I'm not an expert on Heaven's Gate, but when it was a cult that was down in and it was like a happy cult, kind right? Of, you know, everybody was nice and kind, and they wore these white shoes, right? Everybody wore the same white tennis shoes, and the reason we know that is because when a comet was passing by the Earth, they believed that if they killed themselves wearing these white tennis shoes that they would be transported into the comet and continue on and visit like other planets. Right. And, and you know what, but guess what? Prove, prove them wrong. Right. It, prove yeah, them yeah, wrong yeah. it didn't happen because that in their mind, dude, they're gone. Yeah. We're going to kill ourselves and our spirits are going to be in that comet. Might've happened. <laughs> yeah. We, we can't, like you said, there's no, there's no, way to disprove this there's no way to disprove that their personalities didn't end up on hellbop comet continue down hellbop's path you see what's really funny to me is because i remember i this this happened in 1997 is when the, the ritual suicide took place and like that was when hellbop was passing closest to earth or it was just on its way out actually and i remember all the i was 14 at the time 13 or i was 13 or 14 at the time just at the right age to think oh hell yeah comets are super cool and then this cult happened as a part of that. And my young mind was like, oh my gosh, the implications, the implications that these people b believed this thing really, I think had a pretty profound effect on me. I don't believe anything. I personally, I don't take any of that seriously at all. Uh, there's a really cool uh, Heaven's Gate documentary with tons and tons and tons of footage. It's on one of the um, streaming services. And it's got tons, like I say, man, so much behind the scene footage. You really get an idea that they were kind of like making things up as they went along. <laughs> because the cult kind of like morphed through different like identities a little bit over time. And it really wasn't towards the later stages where they were like, oh, Hellbop Comet, that's what we're going to do. But they gained popularity because it was right at the beginning of the internet and they were attracting members through websites. Like, you know, it was one of the first organizations to use the internet as a recruitment tool ever. You know, and it was this really crazy intersection of real science, science fiction, and modern technology all coming together to create this really strange event. And, you know, they're far from the last UFO cult. There are still UFO cults all over the world right now. Well, let's not forget also there was an intersection with Star Trek, right? Oh, with right, right, right. Don't forget yeah, that. Yeah, they, they were sort of obsessed <laughs> with the idea of Star Trek. And George Takai, who played Sulu, I think it was his sister was one of the members of Heaven's Gate that killed her. Is that right? Yeah, I think I remember that too, yeah. You know, some of the people that did that, that were part of this cult, were seemingly very normal people with healthy backgrounds who seem to be mentally stable. You know, but like we say, because the government lies to us, because there are unexplained phenomenon, it allows a rational person to believe these things because everything doesn't add up. You know, no matter how much you know, we both think about this subject a lot, and it's impossible to reconcile all of the information properly. Oh, no doubt. And arrive at a concrete conclusion. I think this is a great time to segue into the more scientific evidence part of this. You mean the physics, yeah. Yeah, the physics of it. And this has really been blowing up lately. We talked about this very briefly on the last episode or one of the previous episodes. You know, we have footage of some sort of UFO, some unidentified flying object in the sky, very obviously and in a demonstrable way, defying the laws of physics. Yeah, no question. And we just got this latest report that just came out a month ago or three weeks ago. And it was like 140 something occurrences and sightings, and they can only explain one. And there was this idea that it was such a dud because the government didn't come out and say, well, yes, we have UFOs, we have X, Y, and Z. But what was crazy about it was that they admitted we cannot explain what the hell these things are. You know, 140 of them. We cannot right. explain it. And that's where for me, I, you know, I've said this before, it's like something is there. Something physically is there because it's showing up sure. on radar and they can't explain the movements on radar. It's showing up with cameras that are built to track enemy movement. You know, I heard this. Uh, I don't know if it was Elon Musk or Neil deGrasse Tyson that was saying, oh, it's 2000. You know, 20, why don't we have great footage from the Air Force or camera or phones can take great photos? It's like, yeah, 
you're ignoring the fact that these these cameras on these fighter jets are not equipped to take great pictures. They're equipped to take to attract freaking enemies and enemy aircraft. And that's what they did. And that's what they were able right. to do and shoot them down. You know, they couldn't shoot them down. But yeah, I mean, I don't they, like the, the way these things can move leads a person to believe that we'd have no chance. No way. In like yeah. Aerial combat. The objects shown in some of these videos, which guys just Google these videos, you know what I mean? And draw your own conclusions, of course. And I would never in a million years try to convince you of some hypothesis because that's what all that is. It's just a hypothesis. But there are definitely videos. Try Spherical object splashdown is a really great one that I've seen lately. That was one of the ones that was released in this Air Force dump. Another thing that happened really recently in popular culture was the Umuamua, which was a very large interstellar object. It's one of the first interstellar objects that we've gotten a chance to look at up close as it passed through our solar system. And this was claimed by some researchers, by some Harvard researchers. Let me see if I could find that. Yeah, a Harvard freaking astronomer, Avi Loeb, right? Right. Claims that this object is very likely an alien spacecraft of some kind. What he was saying was because the way it was flipping around didn't really make sense, except that it could have been uh, picking up or sending signals like this is what it's like a probe going a deep right. space probe and it's sending back signals to its home, you know, wherever it originated saying, this is what I'm finding. This is what I'm finding. This is what I'm finding. The two points that he made are some of the points that Avi Loeb, that's his name, yeah, made that really do raise an eyebrow for the scientific minded are one that this object was supposedly just debris of some sort of rogue comet or exocomet, but it didn't exhibit a coma, which is the um, like the aura of dust of and melting ice that you see around a comet. Uh, is it, had, yeah. it did not have one of those that anyone could see, which is extremely unusual for an object approaching the sun, which it was. And it also exhibited non-gravitational acceleration, meaning that it accelerated in such a way that cannot be explained by the pull of gravity of the objects in our solar system and that has people puzzled quite puzzled that's so sick that's awesome even today there are plenty of unexplained unexplainable mysterious confusing events that happened did you see what he recently said no tell me just like a week ago no he came out and said listen i think that that thing sent sensors to earth and that is the reason that we're getting so many reportings in the last few years, ah, in the last four years. Those objects that we're seeing are sensors from the Oumuamua? I think he's saying that those are sensors saying where Earth is and these UFOs are now visiting. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, they're like homing beacons, I guess you would say. The existence of extraterrestrial life mathematically seems almost a certainty. Just because of the sheer number of planets and solar systems that exist in the universe, it seems mathematically impossible that we would be the only ones to develop life, just because there are so many. Then there's also the dark forest theory, which if you haven't read the Three-Body Problem trilogy, the uh, Remembrance of Earth Past trilogy by... It's so freaking good. It's one of my favorite series of books ever. It's really hard sci-fi, though. Extremely hard sci-fi. Yeah, you have to really be invested in science. In science. And by hard sci-fi, we mean science. Yeah, uh, and it's definitely based on science, but it spends a a good deal of the story postulating on the idea of the dark forest theory, which basically is that the reason aliens don't make themselves apparent is because they're afraid of being attacked by other aliens. That... The uh, universe is at large, basically the wild, wild west or a savage forest where if you make your location known by sending out signals of any kind, people will, uh, other beings will come to your planet and, you know, Galactus, that shit. And devour your yeah, resources. Just, yeah, exactly. So uh, that's a pretty prominent theory right now that like once a civilization has the wherewithal to do these things, they at the, around the same time realize they better – stay quiet you know if they don't want to get blown out of the sky by alien motherships like in independence day so you know there are good logical reasonable explanations why 
hard evidence for alien civilizations is so hard to come by. Well, I mean, dude, it's it's you also have to think we we are just reaching the cusp of our ability to start even looking for mm-hmm. alien uh, uh, life. And uh, on Mars, we're just starting to realize that there to learn that there was water there. Right. And there probably means there were microbes and there might have been life there at some time. And who knows, a billion years ago, there might have been freaking humans there who then destroyed their civilization through climate change, ended up with Mars and had to freaking come to Earth. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. And they, knows, right? like, they look like little skeleton men with huge brains. <laughs> or, or Venus, they're saying in on Venus there could be microbes. Yeah, and moons of we Saturn. We just don't know yet. And moons of Saturn, you know, that that's the point. Like, if we could find atmospheric conditions, even fringe atmospheric conditions that could potentially support life in the eight planets among the eight planets in just our solar system, the idea that it doesn't exist elsewhere in other parts of the universe is pretty hard to believe. It's a pretty hard pill to swallow. So, I'm of the opinion that. Logically speaking, there is life elsewhere. Yeah. Just because it makes the most sense. I am skeptical of the idea that they are visiting us with any sort of frequency, but I'm also open minded that they might be. You know what I mean? As I said at the beginning of this podcast, I want to believe. Yeah. And I, I think the, the the reality is that the, the distances we can't even begin. It's like, it's, it's like, you know, you have these. Uh, these moments in evolution of our species, uh, humanity, where you have these singularities where before and after we can't even fathom what life was like before language. Right. Right. We can't even right. fathom it. Right. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you know, people won't be able to even fathom what shit was like before electricity. It's like sure. what in the world, you know, was that like, or, or books, you know, before books, how, the only thing where you were educated was by oral stories. I mean, that's nuts. It's hard to even fathom. And I think until we develop something that, that allows us to traverse vast freaking uh uh you know miles light years in space we can't even fathom what that could be that life could be any different we can think about it but it's like if that happens it will be a whole new world but until that happens but that's why you know some people think that may perhaps these are future beings that discovered you know future us that discovered time travel yeah it's an interstellar knows you bring up a good point about the evolution of technology changing the way that human beings think in a fundamental way. Um, and that's totally, you're absolutely on point with that. I saw this really silly uh, like Reddit thread the other day and it was, somebody was like, Oh, kids today will never know the panic of trying to go to the bathroom and collect snacks during a commercial break of your favorite show. <laughs> that's so true. And somebody responded to it saying, couldn't you just pause it? <laughs> because the idea that TV used to be unpausable, some really, really, really simple development in technology that's only come around in the last 15 years really is unfathomable to people that things existed differently before that. So to us, even though, you know, we like you say, we can think about Dude, I can't even imagine what it's like to to have lived without GPS. Oh yeah, I mean, I can't even remember that. Yeah, and you know, we both lived without GPS, did traveling without GPS. Now that we're so used to it, it like it like it doesn't fundamentally changes the way you perceive reality. No doubt. There's just no question. Like technology affects our perception of reality in a fundamental, like an, an enormous way, and not just. As individuals, as a society, as the way we decide to move forward, you know, in our reality. And there's also the H.P. Lovecraftian idea that alien beings may very well be Earth beings that existed in such distant time frames that the evidences of their previous civilizations on Earth have just been completely wiped clean. Because here on Earth, you know, we have like, what, a hundred year lifespan? Hundred years in on a cosmic timeline is a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a second. You know, it's true. And, and, uh, and think about where things have had the the evolution of technology in the past two decades. Right, and uh, so 
there's a lot of time itself, which might seem sort of a non sequitur here, but when you take the time to realize that time and space are more or less the same thing, that they're absolutely intertwined in a way that's, that makes them inseparable, meaning that if a being travels to Earth from some very distant place, they had to traverse both time and space to, to reach us. The idea that those beings sense time and therefore space in a completely different way, a completely different understanding of those phenomena than we do, makes it more understandable why alien civilizations are so incomprehensible. Yeah, that's such a good point, man. It's so true. It's so true. It's like we're we're just like trying and trying to imagine what it will be like on the other side of that singularity. You know, right. it probably it'll be something like if if we develop like Neuralink technology where all of our thoughts can be shared amongst us and we're like this hive board being, we can't even imagine that, right? We yeah. can't even yeah. imagine the way that technology will be used. And we will employ it. So we could create fiction where we can kind of like postulate about it, like creating the Borg or what have you. But until we're able to experience it and allow that experience to shape our way of thinking, we really can't know. It's all just theory. Not that I suggested that we become a hive mind, but, you know, maybe we are more than we think we are, too. You know what I mean? I've thought about that a lot, that maybe even though we can't really communicate telepathically or read one another's thoughts – Maybe in some way the human race is sort of a single organism the way a beehive is a single – can be looked at as a single organism or a coral reef. Mm, yeah. It's possible that there's just more to it than we just don't understand yet. But you know, all of this is to say, in my opinion, that UFOs are real. Aliens might be real. Well – a- aliens are probably real. We yeah, just probably, whether they're probably. being it, here yeah. is questionable. Yeah, I think I think you are more correct. That is what I meant to say. UFOs are definitely real. You can look up UFOs that are still remain unidentified, and there is no official explanation. Um, and that's just real. That's a real fact. And you know, you guys know me, man. I I want to tear this stuff down. If I, I I'm one of those people that if it can be destroyed by facts, it deserves to be destroyed by facts. False information is poison to me, but this is not false information. This is real. This is, you know, like I said, d- demonstrable. You can see that these things exist and you can look at them yourself and draw your own conclusions. There is no official explanation. No. And that's just the reality we live in. And, and that gap right there is what makes science fiction so awesome, right? Oh, yeah, man. It's, and that's why this subject is so important to the genre, you know, and to like all of the thought on the genre that goes into creating the genre, which is, you know, obviously occupies a lot of my bandwidth so uh, and i'm yours as well yeah so well i will say that uh that i'm gonna i'm gonna use this as a way to conclude this week because um we're we're talking about this i want to tell you i've been i watched tomorrow war which is chris pratt's uh Mm -hmm. new Mm -hmm. ufo invasion kind of like a uh, independence day did you see yet I have not, but it's uh, I've hovered over it a few times. It's fun, man. It's like a total popcorn, you know. And and there's a part of me that I like. I said I've explained this before. I love sci-fi so much that I love good sci-fi, hard sci-fi, uh-huh. schlocky sci-fi. You know what I mean? Fantasy oh, sci-fi. Yeah, and this is a good fantasy schlocky. It's cool, man. It's really cool. And number two, I really really recommend this i've been reading andy weir's um newest book right so he wrote the martian which was amazing yeah martian that they made into the movie with matt damon but the book was great and the movie was great but this new one is pure freaking sci-fi aliens called what's it called hail mary Hail Mary. That's right. That's right. Uh, Yeah. And it's, I just kind of found it and started reading it and it is just as good as the Martian. I am. I've I've also read uh, Artemis by that author as well. The moon base sort of thriller. I didn't, I read the sample like chapter for it. It didn't pull me in enough to, to go there. I didn't like it as much as the Martian, but it was still pretty fascinating. It's again, pretty hard sci-fi, like where he's explaining the mechanisms of all of the 
technology that keeps people alive on, on these places. Still pretty interesting. Like, not oh, I got to check it out then. I got to check it out. Well, he returns to form in the sense that this is very much like the Martian. You have an individual trying to survive alone. And I, I'm not going to give him too much away, but it involves aliens. It is freaking so cool. Cool. So cool. Well, uh, I think that about wraps it up for us this time. Guys, uh, if you're listening to this and you had a good time, remember to like the post and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us some positive feedback wherever you're listening on Apple or whichever, uh, any place that you're allowed to leave a comment. Subscribe to Infinite Worlds Magazine, which you can do at infiniteworldsmagazine.com. And follow myself at Infinite Worlds Magazine on Instagram and Nick the Tooth at Nick the Tooth on Instagram. Yeah. Got anything else for us, Nick? Or is uh... no, man. That's all it, right. man. I love all the feedback that we've been getting. Yeah, we're sure. really stoked, and uh, we have any idea what we're going to do next? You know, um, I think we're kind of branching into these slightly more broad topics lately. So I try to, I, I think I try to narrow it back down and maybe talk about a specific author or a specific film franchise. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe X Files. Oh, that is a great idea. Okay. So right. next we're going to do X-Files, guys. I love that plan. I, one of my favorite shows growing up. And like I say, I, I do want to believe. So Yeah. And go. you know what the cool thing is? Is you can go back on Netflix and watch. And I do it. I watch it. I watch. I re-watch uh, Star Trek Next Generation or X-Files mm-hmm. almost every single night. <laughs> I, am, I am such. I love both of those shows. So. Well, right, right there with you, buddy. Right there with you. All right, man. All right. Well, until next time, man, stay healthy. Enjoy England. And uh, if you get to travel you know tell us all about it absolutely adios all right peace guys if you're enjoying the infinite worlds podcast you could definitely check out more infinite worlds related stuff by visiting our website infiniteworldsmagazine.com there you can subscribe to infinite worlds magazine it's a full color ad free science fiction magazine featuring stories comics and illustrations from creators all over the world you can also sign up to our mailing list you can follow us on Instagram at Infinite Worlds Magazine or on Twitter at IW Sci-Fi Mag. Also, you can find Nick the Tooth on Instagram at Nick the Tooth and follow his wild escapades. Theme song was written by Christopher Whitaker, and our podcast is produced by Andrew Alonzo. 